Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. Good stuff. How's everybody doing this morning? Doing well? A little off season? Getting ready? Of course, we're getting ready to, things are getting ready to get crazy, I think, from what it sounds like this summer, at least everything I'm hearing, right? Uh, so enjoy the off season while you can, right? But uh, thank the Lord for all this rain. Um, man, it's beautiful, huh? Well, gang, we want to just, we're going to continue in our series here, uh, Gathered Together. Um, probably the end of June, somewhere in the end of June, we're going to transition into a new series called Are We Ready? And we're going to dive into the uh, Olivet Discourse, what Jesus, basically what Jesus has to say about the end times and just a perspective. And we'll move into the book of Revelation, at least the first few chapters. Um, so just uh, hope that you'll uh, be here this summer to really dive in. It's going to be, uh, I'm excited for that time together, really wrestling with this question of are we ready? And uh, everything that goes with that big question. Um, but we're going to continue this morning and gather together. And we've been just taking this time to really look at this idea, especially with this crazy year we've been through, and everybody's kind of out there, and we're just kind of um, somewhat feel disconnected, right? Just as, a, as, a, as churches and as people, we're just, uh, boy, it's an interesting time, right? So we're just kind of take some time to wrestle with what does, this, what does it mean to, for the church to gather together? What is it, why is it important that God wants his people gathered together? This morning, I want to look at this topic, what happened to holiness and the importance of holiness um, for the church. And immediately when I say that, you, your, your mind probably goes, well, you know, what is that all about? You know, it's almost a foreign word to us now, isn't it? This idea of holiness sounds churchy. It sounds almost judgmental. It sounds just something, whatever. I, it, you know, it, it, what, and we can think of everything going on. We think about church. We think, well, what's the role of holiness? And so that's why I kind of pose this question. What, what's happened to holiness uh, and I just ask you to think, when was the last time you had a deep conversation with somebody about holiness, um, about what it is to be holy? And uh, I, I just propose for us that with all of, especially this year, and all the questions going on in believers' minds and those who are seeking truth, those who are asking questions about their faith and what role, where's God in all this, where's God in my life, uh, what I'm throwing out for us to think about is, could it be that this issue of holiness actually is, is the key in some ways to bring alive and answer many questions? And could it be that holiness is the issue that actually is needed today? And maybe this is what God is desiring. One of the many things God is desiring for his, to recover in his church today, especially in America, is a renewal of holiness, of understanding what that's all about and understanding the role of holiness in the church. Does anybody know the number one complaint that people have about the church in America today or Christians in the church? What? That's exactly right. Number one across every poll is what? Hypocrisy. You're a bunch of hypocrites. You go, you show up at church, you say all these things, you say you believe in the Bible, but we don't see it. Folks, the number one thing on that list should be when people think about the Christian church should be not hypocrisy, but should be holiness. 
What the church should be known for, and what we're going to read this morning, the book of Acts, is we see the importance of this in the church. Remember, God has called, the whole idea of salvation is, is that he calls us to himself. He calls us out of the world to be set apart, to be holy. Set apart. That's what it means to be holy, to be like God, to journey to be like Jesus. The whole idea of following Jesus is to be like Jesus, right? And unfortunately, I think so much of the world has crept into the churches that we, we just don't talk about this. We don't even know how to engage each other. We're so concerned about not being judgmental, right, in the gospel. We forgot the main part of the gospel, which is Jesus has come to change your life. He's come to make you holy. Remember, God says, be holy because I am holy. And when we lose that aspect, what we do is we actually accommodate sin. We accommodate things that, that God um, is not going to give space to. He's going to remove his presence from in our life when we don't have a, a united understanding that he calls his church to be a holy nation, a holy community that is to be a shining light in the world to see not a bunch of religious Pharisees that are priding themselves on how good we are, but people who are alive with the flame of the glory of God, with the presence of God, and with the reality of testimony that God has changed my life. I do this because not because I'm any better great saint or religious, but because of the gospel of Jesus, because of what he has done for me. And when the whole church comes together, it should be defined by changed lives, right? Who are moving towards this idea of holiness that I want us to talk about. Okay, I think one of the greatest compliments, right, we can give anybody is that we want to be like them, right? Isn't that true? I mean, and one of the greatest compliments we can give to anybody is that, oh, I want to be like you. Right? I mean, think about that. When somebody, they honor you when they want to be like you. And folks, just think about this, this, this amazing, mind-blowing idea is that God, who is holy, meaning, and we're going to look at this, we'll define what that is more in just a second, but he calls you to be holy. God wants you to be like him, and he's provided a way through Jesus to do that. And when we don't get, uh, when the church is not defined, when we gather together, it should be this renewal, this, this encouragement, this exhortation to each other to be like him. And, and to see God moving in our lives, giving the testimonies of God's working in our lives, His conviction in our lives, and, and his, the struggle in our lives to, to be freed up from those um, things of the past, the passions of the world, right? And to be holy. Now, now I, I just, there's so much we could say here, right? In the sense of just think about our younger generations, think about all the media age we're now, and think about just in your own life, who do you want to be like? What consumes you? Because every one of us, right now, we're dressing a certain way. We're, we're wanting to live a certain way. We're wanting to drive a certain car because somebody else does. Or we want a certain job. Or we want, you know, a certain level of income. Whatever it is, is each one of us has been formed. And right now, you're modeling your life by some, somebody or something. Right? You're wanting to be like somebody else. Somebody else is forming you. And just think about, in the American way, what is the primary thing that actually forms young people's, I want to be like that. And so, in the context of that, I, I just throw out this crazy idea, this just wild idea, 
What about being holy? What about being holy? What about being like God? I, I, imagine that. But you know what that has happened, folks, inside the church is that we have so accommodated the world that we've forgotten our eyes set on the possibilities. And again, folks, here's the amazing thing is none of us ha- can have an excuse. We can, none of us can come before God, but God, look at what, look what I have to deal with. Look at, look at my past. Look at the issues in my life and everything that's happened to me. And every, all like this is, is we, we come with excuses because that's our culture. Right? And, and, and the, here's the amazing thing about the gospel is that uh, Jesus has done everything. It says that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness that we might what? We might be holy. We can be like him. And this is the the abundant life that Jesus offers. It's not all about getting what we ask for in prayer. Ultimately, the abundant life is seeing and the experience of the God is with us and and he's forming us by his spirit into making us like him. And that we give testimony of God's work in our life. And some of that's hard stuff, especially as we get down deep. We're going to look at, at some of that here this morning. So I just throw out this crazy idea. Wow. Where's, where's holiness gone? Where is that conversation? Where is the motivation? I just ask you, and I've been wrestling just personally with this all week with the scriptures. Um, we're going to get to Psalm 51 here at some point this morning. Um, just about, Lord, what, does that consume my thought? Do I, do I think about and, and do I wrestle with throughout the week? Lord, uh, am I becoming like you? Am I pleasing you, God, in my actions, my thoughts even, the intentions of my heart? Am I pleasing you, God? And folks, I, I just want to throw this idea out there is I believe, and as we get into the text, I, I believe that the source of a lot of our problems of today, of feeling disconnected from God, of confusion today, of, of just not experiencing the joy of the Lord and all the promises we have from God and, and this feeling of fragmentation and disconnection and isolation and just go down the list of things, right, that are, that we're, that are plaguing us. I, what I'm proposing is, is it possible that actually a refocus and understanding about holiness could actually transform and change us? And is that in, is the solution to what we're looking for? A restoration inside the church today of this encouragement with each other to be like him. Because yeah, I, I think what happens is we've, we've fallen to the way of the world that I can do this or God, I need this in my life, right? To, uh-oh, get this back on. But I need his, you know, this certain thing in our lives when what we need what we need in our life is we need, wow, this thing's like battling me. It's fighting against me. There we go. Is what we need is we need to be like him. Do you realize that as I move that direction, as I become more like him, that solves all of, there's not an issue in my life that doesn't solve. If I can get my eyes on him and what he wants to do to me to line my life, my thoughts, my struggles with him, is, you know, guess what? Everything fades away. That's the answer for everything, right? So with that said, let's dive in this morning. I'm going to be in um, Acts chapter 5, and we're going to read some tough stuff. I'm just going to throw it out to you this morning. And this is primarily, obviously, for those who, are, who know Jesus, right? Who, who are, are part of his church. This is a message, really, for the church, 
for us as a community, for the church at large to kind of refocus back to, wow, how are we to love each other truly? How are we to really push each other towards holiness? What's that all about? Without lending into this, this thing of being judgmental and a Pharisee, what, what is holiness? What does that look like? Now, I'll just say, those watching online and those here, um, if you're in this journey, if you're in that place where you're just not sure about Jesus, you're just not sure where you're at with God, and you're struggling in your relationship with God, I just plead with you, I, I, I ask you to honestly open your heart and your minds to who Jesus is. There's no one who's lived a life like His in all the world. There's no one who's done anything for you like He's done for you, right, to bring life and to bring assurance of salvation and what is, is for the future. So um, I just encourage you to, to think deeply about this issue because obviously our culture is wrestling with this today, aren't we? We've lost any sense of foundation in our society about what is right and wrong. We've lost in our culture today any sense of a vision of, of what it is to become a healthy whole person. It's just up in the air. Right? It, it, it's anything, it's grab it, you name it, whatever you want to define. And, and is that, it, are we moving in a healthy direction when it comes to mental health, physical health, psychological health? Just go down the list of anything. It, we should look and see the chaos that's taking place here. It is not helping anyone. It is actually more fragmentation, right? And just go down the list of, of things. We've lost a vision, Right? And the church is to be the place for that, a place of, of refuge, a place of healing, a place of, of coming, bringing it, making sense of it all, and a place of meeting the very presence of God, the one who loves you and has wholeness for your soul to save you and redeem you and make you whole again. So in light of holiness, let's dive in. Acts chapter um, I'm going to start in verse 32 of chapter 4, and I'm going to read the first part of chapter 5. little background. By the way, this Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. So on the Hebrew calendar, today is the actual day, 50 days from Passover. And uh, so chapter 2 of Acts was Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit was unleashed on the church, the church began. And the church started gathering together as the, the church itself. Those who gathered together around the body and bread of Christ to worship God and to celebrate the death and the resurrection of Christ Jesus and to be the church on mission to take that good news to every tongue, tribe, and nation. And uh, today is, is, on the Hebrew calendar, today is actually Pentecost. And so what we see, where we've been in the book of Acts, is, is that um, God's people were gathered. Jesus said he promised he'd build his church on faith. Right, the move of, of, of the Spirit of God inside people's hearts to become a family, to become those set apart, holy unto Him to be His children on mission, to be His family, to encourage, love each other, right, and pray the blessings of God right, on, on each other. And uh, what we see is that uh, we've looked at the, the miracles and the first workings of the apostles and the building of the church, and we've seen in Jerusalem this radical revival. Thousands are added, right? Uh, in one day, they baptized 3,000. It was this huge excitement time as they gathered in Solomon's portico outside the, in the temple courts, and then they broke up into each other's houses on a daily base, braces, basis, breaking bread together and encouraging each other, being the body, being the community of, of encouragement. And, and God 
God was just adding to their numbers, the number of people who were coming to know Jesus as their Savior, right? And, and being baptized and professing His name. And we see that um, Peter and John healed a man, right? There was a cripple for 40 years as they were going into the temple one day, and that caused a, a huge stink, and they started preaching even more boldly. More people were coming to faith. And uh, the religious elite and the Gentiles and the Romans and all the rulers, you know, kind of crushed down on them and arrested um, Peter and John, put them in jail. And we, we saw last week that they got um, released, and they joined back the body together, and the body is praying. And, and you just see the presence of God, the... the, the, the on mission and the, the way that they love each other and, and that moves us into uh, where they where um, last week we saw how they came together when they prayed together that the rafters shook right there was manifest presence of the living God among them it was a holy time it was the presence of God and remember where God's manifest presence is right is boy there is a sense of awe there's a sense of healthy fear of God right of reverence before God and again, there's this intimate connection between reverence. And where is reverence in our culture today? There's no reverence for authority. There's no reverence for consequences. No, there's just no reverence at all. Right? We've destroyed it in our schools, in our education. Right? We've lowered the bar. And that's crept into the church. There's not a sense of, of awe. There's not a sense of, of our position before a holy, awesome, incredible God who loves us, right? But He's holy and, and He's glorious, the one who spoke into being this, this universe, right? And our lives are radically dependent on Him for everything, your very breath, right? Your, your existence here, my existence here, you had nothing to do with that. Your DNA, you had nothing to do with that. You're here, because of a loving, sovereign God that created you and only you and all the universe, right? Is Where's that awe? Where's that sense of reverence, right? For understanding that the, you're exi- you had nothing to do with it. It was a free gift. We better honor the one and seek the one, right, who has given this and given us a sense of responsibility and stewardship with this life uh, to be stewards, right, of this earth. And uh, so, boy, they came together in, in this sense of awe and uh, spirit hit them and, and, and filled them with greater boldness, which was just the love to share Jesus. And, and it moves here into verse 32, and this describes the body. Listen to this. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him were his own, but they, excuse me, had everything in common. And great, with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Beautiful, right? There was no needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had a need. And thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, native of Cyprus, sold a, a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, real quickly here, just need to dispel, this is not communism, this is not socialism. This is the church that is not under, as we're going to see here in just a minute, not an, an, under obligation to bring anything, but out of the love of God and the need of their brothers and sisters, when a need arose, they made a way to provide the need of each other. Now, the problem with the church is we're, we're so focused on all out there. You know, the church can't truly be the church until it first takes care of each other. It's a family. You take care of the family first. 
right? And this is exactly what happens when the Spirit of God comes in. And I just, again, I commend, Crossroads has been amazing. People are plugged in here. The testimonies of people's needs being met when they're plugged in. And, 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 this is, and folks, just... Uh, this is one of the biggest problems, right? Is that people, they want something from the church, but they're not willing to have the commitment to be a part of the community. And so we see this happen all the time. Is people are in need, but in their, when they're not a part of the, of the community, is that nobody knows them. Nobody knows the need. You've got to be a family. You've got to know each other and be in community before you can serve each other right, appropriately to know right, what, what we need. And so we see the Spirit of God doing this in a beautiful way. Now, Here we go. Listen up. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself some part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain yours? And after it was sold, was it not your, yours for disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young man rose, and, young men rose, and they wrapped him up, and they carried him out, and they buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for such and such. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who've buried your, your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And when the young man came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Now many signs and wonders were regularly being done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Psalms portico. So again, meeting in the temple courts and breaking out in their homes. But none, listen carefully to this, but none of the rest dared join them. But the people held them in high esteem And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. More than Pentecost. The revival is even growing. More believers. So it's saying here, not those who just want something, wow, I want to be around, I want something from this, but those who were true believers, who really believed in Christ, were added to their numbers, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets, laid them on cots and mats, that Peter came by, at least a shadow might fall on them, and the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, so the revival's spreading out, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. The word of God. Wow, it's sobering, huh? It's like, what do we do with that? So let me just start by saying this. If that shocks you, which it should, is that that's, this is not one of these stories that we just say, okay, hey, I, I, you know, that's just one of those wild Bible stories and I'm just going to kind of chuck it out as some, you know, whoa, that's just one of those crazy things. What I want you to know is that this is consistent language for the church throughout the New Testament entirely. God does not accommodate sin. Let me say it again. God does not accommodate sin. 
He does three things with it. One, he gloriously will forgive it and cover it, but only by the blood of the Lamb of Jesus, the Lamb of God. Second thing is that he will discipline his children when there is unconfessed sin, when they go thinking, oh, you know, this cheap grace thing is, oh, God will just forgive me, and we don't take sin seriously in life, God clearly will discipline it. Third thing that God does with sin is he judges it. And I plead with you watching online, anybody here, this is the call, is that this is not some kind of God grade on the curve. This is not some kind of thing like, oh, I'm going to just bet on the, on the curve, or I'm going to bet that, oh, God will just, you know, it's just kind of like anybody in, you know, to his presence type of thing. That's nowhere in the Bible. We should know that in our hearts. That's just not the case. We would never put on a judge. We never put in our court system, right, that justice is what? When something is done, there is a punishment for that. Without that, guess what? A nation, without that kind of law and order, because of the sin in the world, guess what happens to a nation? And guess what? We are in the beginnings of lawlessness in our country. When you do not have justice, and when you hold this very mushy idea of no responsibility, no consequences for actions, is quickly society falls apart. Again, I ask you to go test any part of history, any part of human nature ever, where that's not the case. And so God, so I plead with y'all, anybody watching online, to think, to go on living life like, you know what, I'm going to live life and, and, you know, I, and I'm just going to not think about the end. I'm sure it's all going to work out. And I'm willing, I'm willing to bet, I'm willing to take a chance that when I die, whenever that is, because none of us know when it is, I'm willing to bet that when I die that, that I'm going yeah, to stand before God and I'm going to be able to just to make an excuse for why I didn't follow him. And why I did what I did. That I'm gonna, and that he's somehow going to just sit there and kind of talk with me through my sin. And that's not how it works. He's done. He sent his own son because he loved this world so much to be a payment, to cover, wash all of our sin. But if I'm not under that, if I haven't received Jesus, if I, if, if he, if I don't have the confidence that he's covered me, wow. Really? We really are willing uh, uh, right, to, to go through life without that assurance, without that amazing assurance of, of his grace and his cover? Um, man. Folks, all through the scripture, Jesus never accommodated sin. But we have adopted in the church this idea. It's crept in from the world into the church that this all, it's, sin's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. My thoughts and my actions before God are not that big of a deal. Do you hear what I'm saying? We don't think that way. That's why we don't think about holiness. And what does that say to God who, who went to the extreme of sending a son to go through a very sacrificial death for you, for me, to cover that so that we could be holy, so that we could be like him, right? And be holy. And, and receive that forgiveness and receive that covering, the, the overwhelming magnitude of being redeemed. And Jesus never accommodated sin. Again, I could go verse after verse. What did Jesus say? Right? The woman that was, they were about to cast stones at the woman caught in adultery. And Jesus steps into the picture. Such a beautiful picture. 
And he says, woman, where are your accusers? After he just told them, you know, whoever hasn't sinned, throw the first, it disappear. But how did he leave that conversation? It's not how we leave conversations today in the church. He says, woman, you're accused. I don't accuse you either. You're free. You've received the grace of God. Now go and sin no more. And the woman, the man he healed of blindness, John 9, he engages them again in the, in the, in the, in the uh, temple and says this to him, says, um, go and sin no more that something worse might not happen to you. Why, why, why don't we take this stuff serious, gang? What does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Verse 5, 46, 48. He says, now you, church, as he's preaching the, the kingdom principles of the church, you're to be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. What? How do I do that? And that's exactly our response that we should have. It's like, I, I, I'm incapable of doing that. But because of the giving of the Holy Spirit and because of the fellowship of the church, is uh, I can do that. I need to pursue that. Right? So here's the definition of holiness, and this is about as, as simple as it comes, right? But God hates sin. He hates sin. He can have no part of it. He's holy. He's perfect every intention of his heart, everything. He's created this world and he's created us and um, the angelic um, realm, right, with free will, with the ability to choose. And when his creation chooses to do their own thing, that's sin. Back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve. No, God, I think we're going to hold out. I'm going to do, I'm gonna, I got life in my own hands. I can do this. Right? Sin into the world. And we all know it, right? Is we're, we're born into this, this thing. We know what it's like, right? To, to the flesh, to do my own thing. God hates sin. And we see this all right through the scripture. And again, he only, there's only three things that he can do with it. He can't have, as you'll see in the scripture, he cannot have fellowship with sin. And so if he wants us in fellowship with him, he had to take care of this issue of sin. And he did it through his son. He made provision. But as we know in the church, which we just read here, is that unbelievers, we, we have a tendency to just kind of get numb and, 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 and just take for granted and go the way of the world, go the way of our flesh, and to think that it's okay, right, for us to, um, we, we just, we don't think about the magnitude of sin because we live in a culture that's so cheap grace, that's just all about God, gimme, gimme, gimme God, he's so loving, he's so merciful, all that's true. But he's holy. Does this make sense, gang? And, and boy, I, I think there's just this renewal that we need that is, is, I think, the source of almost all of our problems. Is we need a renewal of, of holiness. We need a renewal of our place before God. And, and it's only when we can see the magnitude of, of sin that we can see the magnitude of his grace. You cannot understand the grace of God with under, without understanding the depravity of man can't. Otherwise, it's a very cheap grace. It's a very worldly type of grace, right? I give you these other verses up here. I don't have time to get into them to break down this whole idea of, um, of just holiness, of just us getting our arms around this again. But Hebrews 12, you know, is the whole chapter is about God disciplines his children. Like a father is not a loving father who does not discipline his children. 
And your heavenly father is the perfect father, so he will discipline his children, right, that they might be holy. In Hebrews chapter, uh, verse 10 and verse 14, he says, he disciplines us that we might share in his holiness. Without his disciplining hand on us, we will not be able to experience the fullness of his fellowship of what he has for us. In verse 14, he goes on, right, and says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Wow. Where, where does that have us in a grip of like we see here? And the whole, this whole thing is that the church at this time was, was just full of the presence of God. And when God's presence is there, holiness is there. And guess what? Darkness is exposed. Conviction comes. And forgiveness is there. That's why all these people were being added. Thousands were being added, right? Tens of thousands were being added because of the grace of God. They were like, these were Jews that understood the weight of sin and the weight of religion to try to feel right before God. And when they heard about what Jesus did for them, they just ran towards it, right? But there were others, like Ananias and Sapphira, who, here's the deal. They wanted the blessings of church, but not the commitment to God. They wanted the blessings of God without the cost of what it is to follow Christ. And they lied to God. And um, that's deep stuff. And folks, the rest of Scripture goes on to show us that um, the hand of God to discipline his children, whether it's 1 Corinthians 11, says when you come to the table, make sure to examine yourself. Make sure that you are right before God and right in the body, right? And, G- and Paul says to the Corinthians, says, some of you are sick, some of you have even died because you haven't taken sin seriously in your life. What? It's consistent, folks. Through the New Testament, it's just that we live in a culture we don't take sin seriously anymore. We let the world in America just kind of, this entitlement idea, this kind of, you know, great on the curve idea, it's okay to not be okay kind of idea, just permeate us, and, and we miss out on the blessings of God. So I just want to point out a couple other quick things here. Holiness is required to experience radical transformational testimonies rather than superficial temporal changes. Folks, when was the last time that you were able to lead someone to Jesus or be with someone who came to Jesus and it was a radical, a radical, right, coming to faith, a radical sense of of meeting Jesus in a turning from their old life, turning to the new. Um, I grew up in an era like that. I could give you person after person, friend after friend in my own life as, as a young person, radical stories of transformation. That when their baptism comes, they're giving praise to God because of who they were, but now they're no longer that. There's something new, and their life radically changed. <laughs> Folks, what, I'm going to throw out something big, but we don't see much of that anymore in America because we have adopted a cheap grace, a therapeutic gospel that's all about, I want, I'll, I'll try Jesus out for a while. Come on, Jesus can help me. He, he can help my, my finances, my relational issues, my whatever issues. But the reality is, there isn't a radical understanding of who he is. At the core of it, understanding, I need God to forgive me and make me right before him, right? And what do we see here? This is just really powerful. It says that how it describes the church, what was going on, 
was that um, it says all the, so it talks about the out, the watching world looked at the church and they were in fear. They didn't join in. In other words, it eliminated those people who were just, you know, I, I just want the benefits of Christian community, but I don't really want Jesus. They didn't, they, there was no none of that. It said what? But all the more ever believers were added to their numbers. It was genuine, radical conversions. People genuinely meeting Jesus. And it says even more, ever more. It, it talks about more than ever. More than even Pentecost. So it was during this, I, I just, I want this to sink in. It was this event that happened to Ananias, a discipline uh, piece of the Lord's work in the church that caused even more believers to be added to the church, a healthy, radical move of people meeting Jesus. More than Pentecost. So we're dealing with tens of thousands now of genuine believers. Not just what we see in America, which is someone who just, uh, when times are good, we're going to follow Jesus. When they're not, they're not. Um, man, where are those radical conversions? And I just plead with you, your story. Did you meet Jesus for who he was? Was there a radical change, a wake-up call, a fear of God, and the assurance of your salvation? And was there a change? There is no salvation unless there's repentance, unless there's a change from who I was to moving forward, to follow God, and a willingness to obey, right, and and follow him. 1 Peter, look at this passage. Um... This kind of says it all for us. And again, I just, I plead with you to take these verses and really go before the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says, Therefore, preparing your minds, church, for action, be sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What's your hope set on? Especially during these times. Is it set on Jesus and on his return when he's going to make it all right? Or is it on other things? As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, your former life. Don't be conformed to that, the way of the world. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Not just some, all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy. For I am holy, the Lord says. Last thing. Folks, loving people is more than empathy It is speaking the truth and calling them to holiness. We've got to get this right. Loving people is not just empathy. That's not Christian love. That's not love of God. Loving people genuinely is getting in their life, meeting them where they're at, but you go further in the sense of you speak boldly the truth of God into each other's lives. That's holding each other accountable, bringing each other back to the word of God. Not just some counsel of what we think. It's coming back to what God has for us because we're to encourage each other to what? To be like Him. To be like Him. And if to do any less is not loving somebody, to do any less, guess what? Leaves us in a place of accommodating sin in our life. Accommodating a lesser vision for our life than what God has for us. And uh, I hope you'll take these passages, folks, um, I just leave you this thought. In the scripture, it says that God will discipline his children, those who know him, when we accommodate sin and we don't take it serious. 
And scripture is over and over clear that that can be sickness, that can be mental issues, that can be depression, that can be um, even, even death, like we just read. Whoa. God's serious about sin. He's about, serious about sin among those who claim his name. And uh, I, I just propose to us to think about any time a trial hits me, whether I'm sick or whether I'm depressed or emotionally, relational, financial, whatever, it, whenever I'm hit with a trial, the first thing I should do, very first thing I should do is I should go into the presence of God and I should say, Lord, am I right with you? Is this trial a result of your disciplining hand in my life? Show me, God, that I may confess that. that I may, it could be a thought. It could be something I'm... Fe- it could be unforgiveness, bitterness inside my heart, whatever it is. Show, Lord, reveal it. That, and James 1 says, Come, bring your, your request to the elders. They may anoint you with oil that we may confess our sins that we may be what? Healed. We may be Healed. And that's across the board. Folks, what I throw out to you to think about is how much of what we're dealing with is a result of the loving discipline of our Heavenly Father because we haven't taken sin seriously in our lives. But where I want to end on this morning, something that uh, I've been... uh, Dan, y'all can come on up. Um, Something that I've uh, been just praying and just kind of letting the Lord speak to my inner being and just examining my life and where we should be folks is what Paul how excuse me what David prayed right the end of Psalm 139 search me O God know me try me Lord and see if there's any hurtful way in me I put your examining light on me is there something that is in my life a thought or something that is that needs to be exposed I need to confess that, that I might be free God that I might receive your freedom and blessing in my life folks you know there's nothing more freeing more glorious than getting right with God there's nothing more 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 radically transformational in my life than when I get right and clean and exposed before God and and with one another and and lay that sin out lay that thing out and let God's grace cover it if I try to hold it man again I'm under his discipline until I expose it and again I just plead with anyone who doesn't know Jesus man run to him his arms are wide open. He's, he, he, he's, in the, he's the only one who can forgive and cover anything. Do you realize that? Anything. Look at David, a murderer, adulterer. Go down the list of things. And this is where I want to take us, Psalm 51. This is, this is David's heart. Um, I want to start in verse 6. And this is David's psalm, his prayer to God after he was confronted by Nathaniel the prophet who brought to David in a powerful way to expose David's sin. Folks, this, is, this should be normative in our lives, is stepping in each other's lives and holding each other accountable to the word of God. That's freedom. That's growth. That's holiness. Brings in the presence of God. Look at verse 6. I put this on memory, folks. I've just been letting this sink in my heart. Behold, David says of God, You, Lord, delight in truth in the inward being. You, Lord, delight in truth in the inner... Not just what I say out here, but am I right with God at the depth of my soul? You delight, God, in truth in the inner being. 
And he says, you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Wow. Are you asking God into your secret heart? And your secret heart is where your intentions lie. It's what you intend to do. Do you intend at the depth of your heart to obey God and follow Him? Or do you, on the outside, say things, oh, I'll do this, I want to do that, I want to do that. But really, deep inside, you intend to do something else. You know what? That's the definition of addiction. Addiction is what happens when I get to a place where I say, I don't want to do this, but really, on the inside, I'm still intending to do it. And the only way to break that, ultimately, oh, we can make some progress on the outside, is what? To have the Spirit of God come and change my desire. Folks, this is the blessing of the gospel, a change of desire. And this is where God works, and this is where holiness works. Is not only am I, see, holiness is not just not doing something. It's changing my desire. I no longer desire to do that. Now, the world, we can put all kinds of systems into place and, and boundaries that keep me from maybe making some progress, but that's not, that's not the love of God. That's not His transformation. His transformation is He wants a changed heart. Now I no longer, I'm free from that. Man, I desire so much. I don't desire to watch that anymore. I don't want that anymore. I want more. I, I, I want, I, my desires are greater. My desires have changed. Does that make sense, gang? That's holiness. That's being like Him, it's having His eyes. And this is exactly what David prayed for. So I want to pray this for us. This is verses 10 through 12. Create in me a clean heart, O God. A clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me, God. Cast me not away from your presence. You feel disjointed from God? I have, even this last week. Lord, what is in the way here? Please, God, don't cast me from your presence. Don't cast your presence from our church. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Well, there's a lot we could say theologically there, but you know what? All through the scripture, if we don't pursue him, guess what? The anointing, the, the, the knowledge of his presence disappears. There is no assurance of our salvation. Lord, please don't take your spirit. I want, fill me. Fill me, Lord. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Anybody need that one? Huh? Come on. Right? We're in a time, folks, where very, I've talked to very few people who are walking in the joy of their salvation, right? Uh, just rejoicing what Jesus has done for them. That profound testimony we're talking about. And here's David. He's in the same place. The man for God's own heart. Lord, please, I, I don't have that joy anymore. I feel you're distant, God. But restore that joy to me now. And restore to me the joy of your salvation. And, and Lord, uphold me with a willing spirit. Lord, make me want to obey. Do you pray like that? Lord, give me greater desires. Lord, give me greater desires. Uh, Lord, folks, whatever I'm endeavoring in, in the, 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 the desires of, of this world and things, and Lord, give me a greater desire for not things of the world, but things of you, God. Are your desires changing? Are your affections changing? This is what David prayed for. So Father, we come to you now, and Lord, um, I know I need this, Lord. Father, I believe your church needs this. Create in us, Lord, a clean heart. Come, Holy Spirit.
Renew us, a steadfast spirit within me, Lord. Within us. Lord, cast us not away from your presence. Lord, let, your pres- let us have that overwhelming, joyful reality that you're with us. You're pleased with us. Take not your spirit from us. Fill us up, Lord. Anoint us, Father. Oh, Lord, restore joy to your people. Joy of your salvation, what you've done for us, Lord. You've redeemed us, Lord. Thank you, God. And Father, give us greater desire. Hold in me a willing spirit, a desire to obey you, a desire for greater desires, Lord. We love you, God. We love you, Lord. I'm Holy Spirit. Do this work. Overwhelm us, Lord. Lord, let holiness be reestablished in your church. Lord, you're holy. Therefore, you call us to be holy. Show us how to love at that level, Father. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.